I don't think it's ever been like a secret around here or anything, but it, it's just official now. Um, you know, if you're a woman, just, there's just no limits around here for you guys, all right? We just, we're just turning women loose. Go, Hannah, do the stuff. Turn them girls loose. <clears throat> I really don't want to preach at you guys today at all. Um, and um, you, you, you guys who have been coming here for a long time, you, you know we love the Bible, right? You know, we, we really love the Bible. Uh, we're really pretty much not going to open up the Bible this morning. Um, <laughs> I know, and that's a really bad way to start, maybe. But, uh, but what I wanted to do this morning, for the most part, was I just, wanted to, I just wanted to share out of my heart just a little bit with you guys. And um, because I realized that, that a lot of us here don't even really... Uh, maybe you've been here for, you know, three months. Maybe you've been here for four or five years. Maybe you've even been here for seven years. And, and the truth of the matter is... You could have been here with us for as long as seven or eight years. We've been a church for going on 13 years now. And, and maybe you wouldn't even have any idea how this, this whole thing got started. And so I, I want to I lay just a little bit of the foundation for how this got started. But, but bigger than that, what I want to do is I want to, to draw out the six things that I feel like have defined us as a church here in Campbellsville for the past 13 years. Okay? And then we're pretty much, it's going to kick off like, a little six weeks. We're going to open up uh, further in detail over the next six weeks those, those things that I feel like the Lord is, has given to us and has made us to be. And um, so if it's all right with you, I'm just wanna, I just want to share out of my heart a little bit. Is that okay? Yeah, I, I just want to do that. Um, before I get there, I want to say this. Um, you know, when, when sperm touches egg, there's like an exchange of chromosomes, you know, and, and DNA is formed and all this stuff happens. And and the fact that every single person is sitting in the room here is, is a testimony to what happens when sperm touches egg. Am I right? And if you look across the room, one of the things you'll realize is that we're all really different. You know, some of us are pretty tall, some of us are a little wider, and some of us are, some of us are real pretty, and some of us don't have much hair, and, you know. Yeah, you know. But, but something happens when, when sperm touches egg. There's this exchange and, and, and as soon as sperm touches egg, DNA is set. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's permanent. And, and the way DNA sets, gosh, look around the room. It can set 100, 300, 50. How many, how many people are in the world now? Like 6 billion different ways. DNA can be set so many different ways. But when sperm touches egg, the DNA is set for that person, and it's set forever. You know, my son River, my son River, he's, he's, he, he loves... He lo- he's a serious kind of kid, and he, and he loves to get things right. And, and some of that is because of the way he was raised in my home, and, and some of it's because of what just happened when the DNA got set. Now, my youngest one, Magnolia, Magnolia, she is full of joy, and, and it's joy that, it, that it's bigger than anything she learned from me or Heather. It's something that happened when DNA got set. And for me to look at Magnolia one day and say, Magnolia, quit being joyful, that would be really stupid. You know what I'm saying? You know, something happens when, and so what I'm trying to get at is, like, something happened here with us, and it happened with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit DNA got exchanged through conception here, and and, and things that happened at the beginning have permanently set who we are, even to this day. It's kind of like a builder, and, and I was looking for Bubba, and I don't see him this morning, but he's at home. Well, anyways, Bubba's at home, but Richard's here. Where's Richard? Richard, you're a builder, and you know this. It's kind of like this. If, if I go out and I dig a footer, and the footer's 30 feet by 40 feet, what am I going to build on top of it? 
I, exactly. I can't build anything other than what's, what's been set before me. And so something happened. I wanted, and that's what I want to uncover a little bit this morning. Something happened at the beginning, and, and it was like the Holy Spirit. He, he dug a hole, and he, and he made a footer, and he made, it, he made it so wide and so long. And so whatever, whatever's come on top of that, of that footer in the last 13 years, and whatever will come on top of that footer in the next hopefully hundreds of years until Jesus comes back, whatever will be set on top of that foot or that foundation, it has to directly relate to what was there in the beginning. You understand what I'm talking about? And so what I want to do is I want to just uncover a few things uh, about who we are, who, what we've been, who we are, and who we're going to be. See, you can tell a, lot, a whole lot about who you're going to be if you know who you are and who you've been. See, DNA's been set. The foundation's been poured. We can't, we can't build anything other than what's already been set. And, and here's the really cool part. The really cool part is the Holy Spirit just really, he dug a good footer for us, in my personal opinion. The conception that happened here, it was really, really awesome. I want to, I want to tell you this, that when the vineyard started 13 years ago, <clears throat> Campbellsville was in some ways radically different than it is now, but then in some other ways it was radically similar. Um, one of the ways that it was similar is this, that 13 years ago when the vineyard was first, was first forming, there were hundreds of churches in, in Campbellsville, just like there's hundreds of churches now. And, and, and someone who, who operates in a purely scientific, purely natural wisdom might ask the question, well, why the heck would Campbellsville need another church when there's hundreds of them here already and especially why would Campbellsville need a vineyard you know and I think it's a legitimate question well here's the deal God he operates within the realm of natural and scientific intelligence and understanding but he's not limited by that and so God had this other plan in store that was that that's that would would out would go outside the bounds of what natural wisdom would say and here's the other thing I want to tell you about when the vineyard started. This, this church was no one's plan. Now, I know that seems strange to maybe some people in here. This church was literally no one's plan. I, I, here's the deal about the vineyard movement as a whole. The vineyard movement as a whole is a church planting movement. And so there's a lot of intentionality across the nation when it comes to planting churches. But this particular church was no one's plan. When you say, well, Adam... Campbellsville really didn't need another church, and you're telling me that it was no one's plan. So how did this start? Well, this is how it started. There was a prayer meeting. This church started from a prayer meeting. It didn't even start from a Bible study. And I think that's even important, and it says something about who we are and about our DNA. Do we love the Bible? Gosh, we love the Bible. But this church started as a prayer meeting. You want to know why we go on the way we do sometimes? It's because we started as a prayer meeting. So this church started as a prayer meeting, and specifically it started as a prayer meeting to pray for the sick. And specifically it started as a prayer meeting to pray for two sick sisters, Mimi's two sick sisters, whose brothers and other sisters are also here, and they had cancer. And their names were Fran and Jane. And they got sick. And here's what happened. Two families, a couple families came together, and they began to cry out to God for two sisters because it was what they knew to do. I want to I point something out here real quick. You ever wonder why every single Sunday we get up and we look like idiots and we give words of knowledge and we go on and on about praying for the sick around here? Anybody ever wondered that? I can tell you why we do that. We do it because it's what we've always done. And it's not, it's not, because of, it's not in that sense of we're going to stick to our lame traditions because it's what we've always done sort of thing. 
It's what we've always done because it was set in the DNA. See, this church started as a prayer meeting, and it started as a prayer meeting to pray for the sick. This church started as a prayer meeting to pray for the sick, specifically those who had cancer, and that's why we do what we do. You want to know why? You don't want to know why we're intense around here sometimes? Here's why we're intense. Because people had cancer and their very good friends were praying for them. And let me tell you something. If you've got a friend who has cancer, you don't pray passively. Oh, God, you know, help the surgeon's hands. You don't do that. When you've got a friend who has cancer, when you've got a sister, when you've got a family member who has cancer, you put your whole heart into it. You want to know why we're intense? That's why we're intense. So this church, it was born from a place of adversity. It was born in the soil of adversity, if you will. But I want to tell you, what came up was resistance in Jesus' name. You want to know why we're intense? We're intense because something happened when spiritual sperm hit spiritual egg and resistance in in Jesus' name got imparted into our DNA. And that's why we kind of have an aggressive stance around here. Sometimes people come to me and they say, man, Adam, I really like the vineyard. I've had this happen more more than four or five times. I don't know how many times, but it's been more than four or five times. People come and say, man, Adam, I really like, I really like the vineyard. I like what you guys have. I like I like the informality. I like this and that. But, but you know, you guys are just so like, oh. And I go, I, we can't help it. It's just who we are. We've always been like this. We are, we, we are like that now, and we're going to continue to be that way. And for us to change, it would be like me telling my, my daughter Magnolia, Magnolia, don't be joyful. It's just not who we are. It got set. It got dug in the foundation. It got set in the DNA, and it's just who we are even now. So this church started as a prayer meeting. We started praying for sisters. And I'd love to be able to tell you that, that those sisters are still with us. And um, I, I can't. I can't. I remember being there. I remember, I remember praying for them. I remember the Holy Spirit just being in the room. And I'd love to be able to tell you that they're still with us, but they're not. And you may think, well, gosh, how did this happen? Then? Here's how it happened. It's, 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 it's just the majesty of God. This is how God works. People prayed, and the outcome wasn't what we were going for. And those people who were praying, they didn't get offended by God for not giving the outcome that, that, that we were going for. They didn't get offended by his seeming lack of an answer. And instead, what they did was they devoted themselves even more fully to the knowledge that God is good and that his, his presence that was radically among us is something that's worth going for. And so they kept on praying. And here's what I think happened. This is my personal opinion. I think God did answer those prayers. Here's the deal. I don't understand it. Why did good people pray? Why did a lot of prayer happen? Why, why did God not, not answer the prayer the way we wanted to? I, I don't know. Here's what I do know. I know that, that God didn't give Fran or Jane cancer because he doesn't have it to give. I know that he is able to heal everyone of anything at any time. And I know that he is willing to heal. And so the answer why is, I I just can't tell you, but I do know this. I actually think he did give us an answer, and the answer is this. I think he answered us, and the answer he gave was a church. We weren't even going for it, and the answer he gave was a church. It's the strangest thing. And here's the thing about our church. We We were praying for power over cancer. 
We didn't get the answer that we wanted at the time. And Jesus' answer to us was a church. And now what do we have? We've got a collected history of 13 years. And in the 13 years, we have a church where deaf ears have opened. And I'm not talking about metaphorical deaf ears. I'm talking about actual, born, out of his mom's womb, couldn't hear a thing, did not respond to external audio stimuli, however you want to say it, deaf ears opened. Am I right, Matt? Deaf ears opened. And Jesus' answer was a church where dead kidneys got revitalized. I'm talking about an actual woman with an actually dead kidney up against surgery and perhaps death herself. And some people laid hands on her and that person went to the surgeon and the surgeon said, your kidney is fine, get out of my office. And I'm talking about Muslims, people who don't even know God. They think they know God. They don't even know God. People who don't even accept that Jesus is the one and only way to the Father in heaven. Muslims would come in. And I I know a story of a guy who came to our church. Some people prayed for him. He had chronic back problems. The power of God fell on him. And from that moment, and I've even talked to him in the last two years, his back has been fine ever since. And his response is, praise Jesus. Jesus' answer to us has has been a church. It's been a church where we've seen power over kidney problems, power over, power over closed ears, power over hurt backs. I mean, we could go on like this for, forever. Jesus' answer to us was a, was a church where sinners have, have come to their senses about what they were into. I could tell you a hundred stories like that. Jesus' answer was a church where dads have baptized their kids in, in, in milk troughs and, and feeding farm things over there. You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> We don't have a baptistry. We've got like this tub that cows drink out of and we dunk kids in it. And that's Jesus' answer to us. And Jesus' answer to us has been been missionaries that that were among us and they got sent out like Pam and like Sammy before Pam. And Jesus' answer to us has been lifelong friends. I want to tell you all something. The best friends that I have in my entire life are in this room or have been in this room before. The the kind of friends that you'd lay your life down for. That's been Jesus' answer to us. We didn't really get the answer we were looking for, but, but we, got, we got something much different. We got a church. And so in that, in that sense, those first gatherings... They, they were like, they were gatherings of just oblivious church planters, you know, and, 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 I, and I even think for this vineyard, I think Fran and Jane were just like oblivious church planters. They didn't, they didn't know what in the world they were getting involved in, and what they ended up doing was planting a church. It's quite amazing. That's, that's where my heart rests on the whole thing. I think God answered, and I think he answered in a church. So in our 13-year history, we've had, we've had a, a handful of things, I think, that define us things that we can't run away from, things that I think if we try to run, run away from will be utter disaster for us, if I could be really honest with you, church. And so I want to I talk about those six things really quick this morning. If you've got a pen and a paper, I want you to write them down. Because these are things I think we have been, things we are, and things we're going to run even harder for this year, okay? And the first thing is the presence of God. It's defined us from the very beginning. And, and I don't even want to talk about it in, 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 in an academic sense 
or uh, in a theoretical sense, but I'm talking about an experience of the presence of God. It has been with us from the very beginning. It's been with us. It's, it was with us. He's here right now, and he will be with us in the future. It's the thing I want to give ourselves most to in the coming year is the presence of God. Um, a little more church history. Shortly after that, when we, we began these prayer meetings on Tuesday nights, they were so good, and if you know what I mean by so good, they decided, well, we've got to have another one, and so we, had, we started a meeting on Friday nights. And here's the thing about the meeting on Friday nights. The meeting on Friday nights started at 10 p.m., and it went till 6 in the morning. Can, can I tell you why people will go to Dick and Diane Salmon's living room at 10 p.m. and stay till 6 in the morning? Like, if you're, if you're just like one of these miserable people who operates under guilt and manipulation and religion, you might do that for a month. But let me tell you why people will consistently go to Dick and Diane Salmon's house at 10 p.m. at night and stay till 6 in the morning. It's because they encountered the presence of God. Let me tell you, worship was, worship was not as good as it was this morning. Dr. Ray played acoustic guitar. I think Kevin Grant played an acoustic guitar. I played some ridiculous bongos. And Josh Tucker was hacking on an acoustic guitar. And technically, I would give it a grade of D-. And you say, well, how can, how can something grow out of technical D minus? Let me tell you how something can grow out of technical D minus. If the presence of God is there, you've got enough. And the presence of God was there. He was there from, with us from the very, very beginning. Worship was not very good. And the Lord was there, and it just didn't matter. And then there was another time. And, and a lot of you in this room maybe even remember this time. There was a season, especially when I was in college, where we would, uh, there was a group of about, you know, any, it was a universe of us of about 20 people, and we would, con, you know, just all the time, we would go to Lindsey Wilson Prayer Chapel, and we'd get there at 8 p.m., and we might stay till the next morning. And it was this beautiful chapel, and they always had the lights on, and the first thing we did when we went in is we turned the lights off. And we got our guitars out, and we got our drums, and we would sing, and we'd worship the Lord all hours of the night, and we did this all the time. And you think, well, why would, why would college guys do this on a Friday night? This is why college guys would go to Lindsey Wilson Prayer Chapel and sing and dance and become utterly foolish for all hours of the night, especially like on Friday night when technically better things should be happening. The reason you do that is because we encountered the presence of God, and when you encounter the presence of God, you're ruined for anything else. You know, I know that there's a group of college kids who kind of do this here now. You could drive by on almost any given night of the week, and somebody will be here at probably 2 or 3 in the morning. Why are people in our building at 2 or 3 in the morning when they don't have to be? The reason they're here is because they're encountering the presence of God. It's the most valuable thing that we have. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus is out and he's, he's with his disciples and he's teaching and there's 4,000 people there. And Jesus becomes worried about them because he knows that he sends them away without anything to eat, that they'll collapse on the way. And so what does he do? Takes the fish and he breaks the bread and he hands it out and everyone gets fed. Well, what's the moral of the story? If Jesus is around, you always have enough. And I'm here to tell you, if we have the presence of Jesus, if we have the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit among us, we'll always have enough. We'll not want. I mean, that's what we got to go for. I mean, it was, it was, it was who we are, were at the very beginning. It's who we are now, and it's who we're going to be. Let me tell you another two stories about the presence of God among us in just the last 13 years. This is back when we were in the building, right before we came here, when we were in the theater. 
And it was a purely miserable building. Um, Eric Kirchin used to describe it as this. When, when you went to the, to the vineyard when it was in the movie theater, it was like worshiping in the USSR. I mean, it was just, it was horrible. The, the, the walls were black, the ceiling was black, the floor was black, and we had some, some fluorescent lighting that, you know, just sucked your soul right out of it. It was just, <laughs> and you think, well, how in the world can you grow a church from there and, you know, get your own spot? Presence of God is how. I, this is what happened. One night we had a, a special guy come in, and his name was Danny Daniels. And Danny, Danny was, a, was a worship leader who, uh, who came up through the vineyard, and he was with John Wimber in the very earliest days. Danny did a couple days of meetings, and on the last night he ended up uh, leading worship, and he preached, and his message was you know, really good, and we all got fed. And, but then after his message, he picked up his guitar, and he and he put it in like dadgad tuning, which is like an open D tuning, and it has kind of this Celtic feel. And he sang about 14 or 15 songs. Just, And the Lord came into the room, like more than he had been there in a long time. And it was tangible. You didn't have to tell people Jesus is here. Everyone knew it. Even if they didn't know it, they knew it. I don't even know how to describe that, other than if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. The Lord was there. And then after, after he sang some songs, the meeting ended, and everyone pretty much left. And at the end, we're just sitting, we're sitting in the theater there, right in the middle. I remember it was right in the middle, and there was about 12, maybe 15 of us, and, and Danny Daniels is with us. And while we're sitting there, we're just, you know, talking about, you know, life and stuff. And, and uh, someone mentions, you know, wow, and the, the presence of the Lord was here. And, and Danny was like, yeah, it really was. And then all of a sudden, the conversation just switched from, wow, the presence of the Lord is here, to... Man, isn't God good? And this sort of thing. You know what I'm talking about? Everyone just began to talk about the Lord and began to talk about how good he was. And it's, it's one of the things that, that I'll never get over my whole life. All of a sudden, this perfume came in the air. And it, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, like, it wasn't like anything I've ever smelled before or since. It was like roses, only but better. I mean, it, it was like, it was incredible. And, and it was, and it was, it was right in there with us. I mean, you could, we even started experimenting. You could walk out of it. We were all sitting together. You could get up and walk just a, a few steps away, and you'd get out of it, and you couldn't smell it. You'd come take your seat again, and you could smell it. And then we, asked, we started asking everyone, did somebody put lotion on or something? No, no one put lotion on. Finally, Danny Daniel speaks up, and he says, oh, yeah, that, that's the Lord. And that little phenomenon's been following me around for 15 years. And a lot of times when the presence of the Lord is really good in worship or something, and we just begin to talk about the Lord, he says, that, that rose floral perfume thing will just drop in the room. See, it's the presence of the Lord. Another time, it, this, something very similar happened about a year ago here. It was in the middle of worship, and worship was really good, and Hannah broke out into this prophetic song, and I was playing electric guitar right here, and I just went, oh! You know, just one of those things. Her song was so good, it just completely arrested my heart. And I'm, on the inside, I'm going, oh, Jesus, there's no one like you. I love you so much, you know? And everyone in the room did the same thing. And it, the Lord was here, but all of a sudden, if you can understand what I'm talking about, he got more here. You know what I'm talking about? You know, he's always here, but all of a sudden, he got more here. We went ahead. We did announcements. Ray preached his message. But then at the end of the message, during ministry time, Garrett Gilkey, who, who's moved on, he and his wife live in another town now, he, was just, he, had, just become, he had just started coming around. Garrett, in, his, in, his, you know, in a way that only Garrett can do it, comes up and he grabs the microphone. He's like, uh, uh, I don't normally give words, but during worship today, all of a sudden, I smelled like bread baking in the room. 
And everyone kind of laughed the way you did now. And, and, and he was like, I just think like the presence of God is here, you know, and wants to, wants to feed us. And he gave this prophetic word, and it was really good. Well, after he gave that word, my email and my text and my phone just exploded all week long with other people who were sitting in this section right here who had the exact same story. You know, that, I, got, I had emails from people who said, yeah, during worship, it smelled like somebody was like baking donuts. And you think, well, what is that? Well, here's what it is. It's the presence of God came among us. And not the theoretical, academic, theological presence of God, but the manifest, tangible, useful one came among us. And it was real. And I want to tell you something. I'm not going just for perfume and bread in the air. I'm going for him. You know what I'm saying? But if perfume and bread in the air comes around, I'm not going to be offended and I'm not going to ask too many questions. I'm just going to get on my knees and say, thank you, Jesus. Because that's actually the most valuable thing we've got as a church. Number one, the presence of God. It's an experience. And when we come together this year, church, man, let's, let's host the presence of God. Number two, Things that define us, things that we were, things that we are, things that we're going to be, things that we're going to give ourselves to even more this year, is worship. Number one and two are just dramatically linked, but it's who we, it's who we were, and it's, it's who we are, and it's, it's who we're going to be. Like I've already alluded to this just a little bit, but like in the early days, worship was not very good, but we didn't care. We were just... We were so hungry to, to tell God how good he was. We just, like, proficiency meant nothing. Just as long as we could tell God that he was awesome. And, and, and at the time, here's the thing. you got to think back. 13, 14 years ago, worship was not like it is now. See, 13, 14 years ago, worship was still more structured. And, you know, even if you were singing, like, praise choruses and stuff, man, you were just, like, radical. And so there was this music that started happening where people were, were you know, we're able to talk directly to God and not necessarily talk about Him. And so we were just like ravenously hungry. And the first worship leader we had was Dr. Ray. And then the second worship leader we had was Ray Hollenbach. And Heather and I always like to laugh about this. When Ray Hollenbach led worship, it was like Calypso Island worship. <laughs> it was Calypso Island worship. And can I tell you something? No one cared because we just, we just wanted to say, Oh God, we love you and we're just crazy about you, Jesus. Even if we're worshiping, you know, Calypso. And Joe remembers what I'm talking about. It was island style. And then the third worship leader we had was Eric Hurchin. And when Eric Hurchin became worship leader, I mean, he had, just, he, had, he had just quit smoking dope not long before. I mean, like, I mean, not long before at all. And, and so Eric is just kind of this, you know, kind of getting his life back together. And he's the worship leader. And you think, man, when it comes to wisdom, that doesn't make much sense. But we didn't care because God was just so good and we just wanted to tell him how great he was. By the way, Eric's went on to be like way more successful than me. And he's just, if you guys know Eric, he's rocking it in in Charlotte. And and he's a really good friend, so I can say that kind of stuff. And and he would tell you not to smoke marijuana. Yeah, worship was just a huge part of who we are. And, 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 um, and because of it, it's still a huge part of what we do. And here's the thing I want to tell you. A lot of times, a lot of times early on, uh, 
the one thing, the one thing that would, would get us all together in the room would be worship. And it would be, it would be the one time when, when we could all connect with the Lord. And that's one of the powerful things about worship. See, see, when the pastor starts preaching, that's pretty much a solo event. I've gotten a microphone. <clears throat> and when we do ministry time, you know, four or five people might get the microphone. But when we, when we come together to worship, you know, the, the, maybe the most powerful thing is it's the one time in the meeting when we can all do it together. And so that's, that, I mean, that's been a huge value of who we are. It, it's it's going to continue to be that way. I, I just want to tell you right up front, church, we're going, to, we're going to spend crazy money on worship. Like, to the point that it might even offend some people in here and even some other, even the way people think that money ought to go. We're going to spend a ton of money on it because I know that if we get people to worship, man, you've won them. I, I know that, that worshipers are, are, are the ones who stay with Jesus lifelong. Uh, the, the people who were at the, at the cross... It was Jesus' mom, Mary Magdalene, and John, and a couple others. And the one thing that all those people have in common is that they were all worshipers. You see that John, John laid his head on Jesus' breast, and, and Mary, she's the one that comes in, and she goes crazy and, and dumps $40,000 worth of perfume on Jesus, and she wets his, his feet with her tears. And, and what I want to tell you is people, people who make it to the end, people who can really go through hard times and stay connected with the Lord, they're worshipers. And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put money on it. We're going to train people up. We're going to invest just lots of time, energy, and effort into making worship happen here. Let me tell you a story about how valuable worship is, and it's something that's a little more current. Um, you all know that, uh, that we recorded an album here last year. And, and I'm pretty proud of the way that turned out for, for, for the fact that, you know, we're not professional musicians, and we didn't have a professional budget, and we made something that I felt like was pretty awesome. But anyway... What happened was we sold some of those albums, and um, you all remember uh, Sarah Moore. Um, she used to lead worship here with us. So anyway, she lives in Minnesota now, but her mom and her dad, they live, in, they live in Louisville. And in her mom's classroom, her mom's a school teacher, she teaches special ed kids. And so she has kids from mild autism to severe, uh, to severe autism, kids from mild mental retardation to severe mental retardation in her classroom and so ever since she got our album she just she started playing it nonstop in school and what this is what she noticed she noticed that there's this one song on the album that when she would play john and mary this class that's normally just completely full of chaos and you know you can just imagine she said i'm most of the time overwhelmed more kids than there is me to go around and so there's just a ton of chaos that's happening in the room she said she can go over and put john and mary on and the presence of God will come in the room, and the kids will begin to sing, and all of a sudden, order just comes into the room. And not, not, just, not just natural order, but a supernatural order. And the kids who are most autistic, and this is the crazy thing, the kids, the kids who respond the most are the kids who are the most severely retarded and the kids who are most severely autistic. The kid who is most severely autistic, when you play that song... Order comes over his mind, and he's able to do things that he can't do any other time. I mean, worship is incredibly valuable. Let me, let me tell you another story just related to that. She has, she has a student aide, and this, this student aide goes to the high school. She's about a 16-year-old girl, and she's kind of, if, she's a goth type. You don't know what I'm talking about? She's got really dark hair, paints her nails dark. You know, really crazy dark makeup, <clears throat> super depressed, listens to a lot of dark music. And, and this girl lives in just a, a, a realm of, 
she just lives in depression land, if you know what I'm talking about. And um, at one point, Kim has a talk with her, and she says, you know, look, I don't know what the girl's name is, but she says, look, look, you can't, you can't be like this in my classroom. These kids need somebody who's full of hope, and they need somebody who's full of encouragement. The girl breaks down and says, you know, look, you don't understand. I'm so depressed, I can barely get up in the morning. And Kim said, well, you know, here's some things you can do. And she, you know, just shared the Lord with her. And, and, and just as kind of like a P.S., Kim says, hey, would you like one of these, these CDs? And, and the girl says, yeah, I'll take one of those CDs. So she takes it. Kim doesn't say anything else to her. A couple days go by. Girl comes into the classroom. Something's changed. She goes, Kim, I've got to talk to you. Kim says, sure. She says, uh, what's going on? The girl tells her, well, you know that CD you gave me? And she says, yeah, I know that CD. She says, I put it in. I put it in last night, and I was driving around at like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I just turned it up as loud as it would go, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I just started driving, and I went to this dark alley, and, and I, the music's just blaring, and I turned my car off, but I keep the radio on, and it, it's pumping, and she says, it's, it's completely dark, and there's no light anywhere. And then, and then on, all of a sudden on this song, she didn't say which one, but all of a sudden on this song, she says, light came into my car. And she says, no, she says, she says, I started to look to make sure that it wasn't, the dome lights off. She looks out, there's no, you know, the moon's not out, there's no, there's no outdoor light. And she says, Kim, I don't know what happened, but some sort of supernatural light jumped in my car on me. And she says, and then, and then I just, you know, started to tell the Lord everything that I'd done wrong. No one told her what to do. And then she comes back to Kim the next day and says, Kim, what happened to me? And Kim says, well, I think you just got angelic visitation and you got a visitation from God. And I think you repented. And, she, and she's like, what? You know. And this girl gets a complete life transformation just from walking in an atmosphere of worship. You know, it's, worship has been one of, the, one of the things that was with us from the beginning. It's what we've got now. And it's one of the things we're going we're to more fully give ourselves to even this year. I mean, we can't go wrong there. When we begin to worship the Lord, supernatural light can come into the room. The kind of light that can knock permanent depression off of someone. You know? You know, you can get healed just by being in worship. I know people who have gotten completely healed, set free, and delivered just by being in worship. I have. On more than one occasion. Number three, community. One of the things that's, that's defined who we are and is going to define us even more is community. And, and specifically what I have on this is, as I've been praying, the phrase the Lord gave me for this year is a family of families. You know, when this church started, you see, it was, it was a couple sisters who needed prayer and families came together to pray for them. See, that's the DNA. And one of the things that we've had from the very beginning and we have now and we're going to have even more is this sense of family. I've already told you guys, the best friends that I have in my entire life are here. Friends, I have people and I have relationships here that mean as much to me as my own mom and dad and sister do. And the only way you get that is by the presence of God being among us. It's community. You understand that, that from a theological perspective, that, that Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, they're, they're, a, they're a sweet and loving community even among themselves. And so if they come and they show up among us, one of the things you can watch out for is that, that community and family is just going to break out. It's been a part of who we are. It's been set into our DNA. <clears throat> one of the things I remember uh, is when we were when we were back in uh, we were back in one of our smaller storefront buildings. 
right in the middle of Ray's message, a lot of times people would just stick their hands up and they'd be like, I mean, stop Ray right in the middle of his message and say, hey, I've got a question. And it was, and it was okay. And, and, you know, the church has gotten a little bit bigger, so maybe we don't do that now. Not that I would necessarily be thrown off guard or even feel like I had to answer you. But, <laughs> but there's just always been this sense of family that, that we've had with us. And, and, and man, I, I want to tell you guys, it, it's, it's precious. It, it's not something you can create. It's something you only get by partnering with the Holy Spirit. And it's something we want to protect. <clears throat> The other thing I want to say about community and family is this. I'm not just talking about being informal either. I'm talking about being transparent, and I'm talking about being vulnerable with one another. And, and one of the things I want to tell you is that this is a safe place. It's been historically a safe place where, where you can be transparent and you can be vulnerable with one another, and, and that's something we're going to go for even more. <clears throat> if I can be a little bit directive to you guys, I, I want to start by saying this. Church, this year... I, I know that a lot of you guys do this already, but even more. Share life together. Share life with one another. Go out of your way to share life with the other people who are here right now. It, it'll absolutely change who you are. Um, probably the best thing that, that Heather and I have done in the last 10 years in terms of, of developing relationships that mean so much to us is, you know, we, just, we have these really informal get-togethers at our house. You know, and it, it used to be on Thursday nights, we'd, I'd have 10 or 15 people come over and we'd, we'd open up a bottle of wine and we'd sit around and we'd eat some cheese, we'd drink some wine, we'd eat some olives, and we'd just hang out for two or three hours. And it wasn't even like we were trying to talk about God or trying to do anything religious, but, you know, we love God, so, you know, He ends up coming up in the conversation. And, and so there's just this real, there's this real exchange that began to happen. And I'm telling you, the best friends I have are the ones, the ones that I've shared life with. So if I can be directive to you this year, I, I want to tell you this year, on purpose, be intentional, share life together. You might think, well, Adam, I, I don't feel like my best friends are here. I feel like I'm completely on the outside. And so what I'd, I'd tell you is be intentional, share life with somebody who's next to you. You know, if you don't feel like you're on the inside, then, then make your own inside. You know? The truth is, I can't have all of y'all to my house. It's only so big. You know, that's just the truth. I love everybody here, but the truth is, my house only holds so many people. But here's what I do know. I know there's a lot of houses in the room. Be intentional. Have some people over. It'll, it'll change you. If you've got a few bucks, set aside $50 a week just to buy snacks and have people over, and, and, and don't be satisfied until they eat every, every dollar's worth. It'll change who you are. You say, that doesn't sound very supernatural. Just try it out for three or four months and see if, see if the Lord doesn't show up and see if something, something supernatural that you couldn't plan or orchestrate doesn't begin to take place. If, if some of you guys have done this, and, and you know what I'm talking about. So number three, community and family. We're going to be a family of families. Number four, this is something that I feel like that's, that's defined who we are, and especially in these days, this is something we're going to, we're going we're gonna to go for. Um, it's radical generosity. You're like, oh my gosh, he's been a preacher one week, so he's already got to talk about money. <laughs> but from the very beginning, we've been a, we've been a church that's been, I, I don't care to, to toot our own horn because this stuff doesn't actually get said enough sometimes. We've been a church that's been radically generous with people. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but... Um, about four years ago, 
Um, first, let me say this. Through the course of a year, every three months, there'll, there'll be one month where there's five Sundays in the month. You know what I'm talking about? So that happens four times a year. So about four years ago, one of the things we did, we decided as, as a leadership team that on that fifth Sunday, we're going to take the whole offering and we're going to give it to another church in this town. See, it's, I'm talking about radical generosity. It's defined who we are. Uh, because I know these people, I know their heart. You are not going to find more generous and, and radically giving people than the elders and the leadership team at this church. This is, this is how it operates at staff meeting. If we have to choose between wisdom and generosity, we just do a huge jump on generosity and we don't even care about wisdom. That's been the way we've been at the beginning. That's the way we are now. And that's, Church, I want to say that's the way we need to go even more. Radically generous. I know that uh, about two years ago, I don't even know how this is possible, but the, the church, you know, we take in offerings and stuff, and we have a budget, and within the budget we have, we have a certain, we have 10% set aside for a tithe. Well, about two years ago, at the end of the year, we did the calculations, and our church tithed 14%. How do you tithe 14%? I don't even know. The way you do it is that, that you have something, something got imparted at the beginning, and it's about radical generosity. And I want to tell you, that's something we've got to go for even more, is radical generosity. Actually, actually, the word that I've actually felt from the Lord hasn't been radical generosity. It, it's, that's kind of like the PC version. Kind of the, kind of the real version that I have in my, in my heart is profane and obscene generosity. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, I mean giving that makes people think, hey, you really should stop that. Giving, giving that causes some people who are not on the same page with you to go, wait, what's going on here? That's what we need to give ourselves to even more. If you look at the budget, and I'd invite you to, the, the budget that we have outlined for this year, one of the things you're going to notice is that if you, go, if you do a line-by-line line little search there, one of the things you're going to notice is that, is that nowhere in our budget this year do we have uh, any sort of benevolence, which isn't what we normally do. <clears throat> you think, wow, talking about radical generosity, and you cut benevolence. Heck of a way to run a railroad. Well, here's what the plan is this year. Here's how we're going to do benevolence at the church this year. The fourth Sunday of each week, the fourth Sunday of each month, there we go. Fourth Sunday of each month, we're going to take up two offerings. One of them, the first offering will be our regular tithe, and the second offering we take up is going to be uh, what we're going to call a least of these offering. We're going to take up an offering for the least of these. And so in two weeks, church, I want you to be ready because we're going to take up a second offering for the least of these. And that kind of offering is going to go and we're going to pay, we're going to pay light bills for people and we're going to pay, we're going to pay uh, gas bills and we're going to go buy people groceries. And um, one of the things you may not be aware of, and you wouldn't unless you're here all the time, but unless you're in the office, unless you're answering the phone, you know, we can't be here a day without three or four people coming and saying, you know, I need gas in my car. I need somebody to keep the lights on for me. I need some food. I'm a single mom. I need this. I need that. And, you know, we've always just, you know, we just want to write the check. And so that's what we're going to do this year. So I want you all to be ready on the, on the, the last, the fourth Sunday of this month. We're going to take up an offering for the least of these. And, and what are we going to do with that money? We're going to, we're just going to do really unwise things with it. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to give it to people who, who don't deserve it. We're going to give it to people who made bad decisions. We're going to give it to people who, 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 are, who have done things this week that they shouldn't have done. And we're just going to be really inventive with, with ways to, to bless our community. One of the other things we're going to do is we're going to, 
we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna bless Peru, and so we're just really gonna look for ways to sow into to our community and and sow into our mission field in Peru, and and so I want you guys to be ready for that. But but this year, radical generosity, obscene and profane generosity. Ask the Lord, Lord, give me give me a new strategy for how to give it away. I'll tell you one other quick story. Uh, I, I know a guy who goes here, and he. Um, uh, he was wanting this kind of a big ticket item, and he thought, "Well, I'll just I'll just hold my tithe back, and I, I, I'm not I'm not gonna because I want this big ticket item. I'm just gonna hold my tithe back for a little while, and I'm gonna save my money." And then the Lord came to him and said, "Hey, if you'll just if you'll just give it to the church like you know you're already supposed to, I'm gonna help you get that big ticket item." So he went ahead and he and he, and he gave that chunk of money to the church, kind of begrudgingly, you know, ah, let go of it, and then within two months. He got four times more than he had given to the church. So four times more than he had been withholding came to him in ways that he can't even fully explain to me to this day. Now, this is even better. Then the Lord says to him, I don't want you to just tithe for the rest of the year. I want you to give 15%. And if you'll give 15%, then I'm going to bless you more than I've ever blessed you. And then he and I, this guy and I, we're having lunch this week. And he goes, it's the most amazing thing. He says, stuff is happening to me that I can't even explain, but blessing is running to me on all sides. I'm telling you, the Lord just, he just loves generosity. It's been who we are in church. I want to tell you, let's look for ways to be even more generous this year. I know the guys on TV are telling you it's a horrible economy and, you know, what you ought to do is just keep it for yourself even more. But what I want to tell you is, man, in the kingdom of heaven, this economy doesn't mean anything. And in the kingdom economy, it's about turning it loose. It's really about turning it loose. Number five. Things that have defined us. The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. And what do I mean by the gospel of the kingdom? I want to make a distinction here between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of salvation. You see, we, we live in a culture, especially here in Kentucky, especially in the South, especially in, in Western America, where mostly what is preached is the gospel of salvation. Believe Jesus, you'll get out of hell. Can I tell you something? If you believe Jesus, you will get out of hell. Can I tell you, I'm trusting Jesus for just that intent. But I want to tell you also that Jesus didn't just come so that you could get out of hell. You see, when Jesus showed up, heaven came with him. And so there's this powerful distinction between the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached and the gospel of salvation, which is mostly preached these days. And one of the things that I think it's, it's really defined who we are because, because the, do, the gospel of the kingdom takes everything that most of us have been waiting for when we die. It takes the things that have been stuck off in the future and it brings them to today. You want to know why we pray for the sick? Because it's the gospel of the kingdom. When Jesus showed up, he laid hands on the leper. When Jesus showed up, he cleansed everyone who had disease. When Jesus showed up, he healed everyone who was afflicted by the devil with demonic oppression. And when Jesus showed up, he saved everyone and he called them to follow him. You see, it's, it's more than just going to heaven when I'm dying. I, I don't have to talk to you guys for very long. If you've lived life very long at all, you know this. Heaven and hell starts today. You know, you don't have to be dead to be in hell. And if you've lived life long at all, you know what I'm talking about. But I want to tell you, the other side is also true. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundant. And it's that, it's that gospel of the kingdom. It's, it's the powers of the, of the future age breaking in on the here and now. You want to know why we do things the way we do it? Man, that's, that's one of the, the biggest reasons right there. 
See, the gospel of the kingdom is a new way to live. It's not just something new to believe. I could get on my hobby horse there and I could ride for a long time, but I won't. Here's here's another way to, to delineate between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of salvation. Let me ask you a question. Which would you rather be? Which person would you rather be? Would you rather be the thief on Jesus' right-hand side who squeaks into paradise? Or would you rather be one of Jesus' 12 disciples who he called and followed him and laid their life down? Who would you rather be? I'm telling you, that's a picture, and it's a, it's a distinction between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. Who would you rather be? I mean, ultimately, if I ha- you know, I'll take either one. But ultimately, what I want is I, I want to be his disciple. I want to be his disciple today. Number six. Try to speed this up a little bit. One of the other things that I really feel like has defined us and maybe sets my heart on fire almost more than anything else, and it's this. It's, it's equipping the saints and making disciples. In Ephesians 4, Paul, he writes, he writes to the church there, and he says, you know, Jesus gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. And why did he give those gifts to the church? To equip the saints to do the work of ministry. That's one of the things we've held on to from the very beginning around here, and it's one of the things that we're going to even more radically press into. You know, I don't want to do all of the work of ministry. And in fact, it's not my job to do all of the work of ministry. It's my job to train you guys to do the work of ministry. Can I tell you this? My number one job isn't to come and visit you at the hospital. My number one job isn't to come and visit you at your house. My number one job isn't to come and and marry you. And my number one job isn't to come and bury you. It's not my number one job. It's my great pleasure to come visit you at the hospital. It's my great pleasure to marry you. It's my great pleasure to bury you. It's my great pleasure... It's my great pleasure to come visit you at your house. But that's not my number one job. My number one job... Is to, is to equip you guys to do the work of ministry. One of the things that Ray and Ray and I talked about a long time ago along these lines was that if we're really going to do this, we've got to be willing to have bad meetings. You know, we've had some really awesome meetings here and we've had some really horrible meetings. You know why we're willing to have some really horrible meetings? Because if you're not willing to have really horrible meetings, you won't turn people loose to try it out. Man, you've got you to turn people loose. Some of you guys are in here, and you're shaking your head, and you're going, yeah, yeah. You know, you, gotta, you better watch out, because we might, tr- we might come to you and tap you on the head and turn you loose. One day, we might put the microphone in your hand. You might wonder, why, why is it that sometimes when I come here, it's not always Adam or Ray preaching? Why is it that Andrew and Andrea preach sometimes? The reason is, we want to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Why is it that, that we have five or six worship leaders around here? Why, why, can't, why can't it be that just Hannah sings all four songs because she's got the prettiest voice, and I really like Hannah when she's doing it. Why can't we have it that way? Because she's the best, and I like her the most. The reason that we can't, and the reason that we won't, and the reason that I absolutely will put a stop to that sort of thing is because we are going to turn people loose. And so one of the things I want to tell you is, if you're, if you're hoping to come and just hide at this church, man, this might be the really, probably the wrong church for you. Now, you can hide around here, and we'll be, we'll be peaceful and gracious with you. But one of the things 
that we really want to do is I want to see people get turned loose. You know, one of the reasons, you know, one of the reasons that, that, that people haven't been radically changed by the, the power of the gospel is because too few people are holding the microphone. Too, too few people are holding the microphone. Let me tell you something else, too. This is just my personal opinion. You may, you may think I'm wrong, but if you can bring me some numbers, I'll agree with you. Um, I haven't seen any numbers yet. Maybe they exist. My, my hunch is that they don't. There are 25,000 people in Campbellsville. There are 100 churches or so. I heard maybe one time there was 125 churches. I don't know. I'm sure somebody has that number. But there's over 100 churches in our town. There's 25,000 people in our t- county. I don't know how many people church, go to church on Sunday morning, but my guess, just my gut feeling, we could even take a poll sometime in the room, what you think. But my gut feeling is that the number of people who show up at church on Sunday is less than 10,000. Okay? That's my gut feeling. Okay, now let's do this math even one step further. Of, let's say, let's be generous. Let's say that 10,000 people showed up to church this morning or sometime this weekend. Of the 10,000, how many people are really living the disciples' life? How many people are saying, Father, what is your opinion about my life? Father, what is it that you'd have me do with my life? Father, what is your opinion about my money, my time, and my energy? Father, what is, it your, what is your opinion about my associations, my friendships, and my assignment in life? How many people of the 10,000 do you think are living a disciple's life? Who knows? I, I wouldn't even... I wouldn't even I'd be afraid to even say, but I, could we all agree that it's probably less than 10,000? Okay, what's my point? My point is this, that Taylor County is still largely an unreached people group. See, I want to tell you something. There has been no church, there's been no collection of churches that's actually penetrated our community with the gospel yet. That's my personal opinion. My personal opinion has been this, that our town and our county has been inoculated with the gospel. That they've been given just enough of the real thing to actually become resistant to it. So what am I saying? I'm saying, man, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the presence of God among us. We need to be people who love His presence. We need to be worshipers. We need to be a family of families. We need to be obscenely generous with our community. There's a pastor friend in Nashville who just has the best phrase for the way he relates to his community. And he tells his church this. He tells his church this all the time. He says, church, we're going to be the best friend our town ever had. You know, we need, we need that kind of mentality with our church. We need the gospel of the kingdom and not just gospel of salvation to invade Taylor County. And we need to turn people loose. We need to equip the saints and give more people the microphone. Because in my personal opinion, Taylor County is still largely unreached. You know what I'm talking about? So those are the six things. I think they, I think they, were, they were set, just like, just like sperm touching egg. I think the DNA got set over us. I think that we're called to be a house of his presence. I think that we're called to be a house of worship. I think that we're called to be a community that loves one another. I, I think that we're called to be radically and obscenely generous with everyone we come in contact with. I think we're called to live a life as a disciple with the, with, uh, with the gospel of the kingdom. And I think we're we're called to, to train and equip and release. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to unpack more of that in the, in the, in the following weeks. But if you're on ministry team, come on up.